Genesis 27. And I'm going to actually go back two verses into 26. And so we'll read the last two verses of 26 and then read through 17 this morning. Then we'll get going here. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, and uh, Basemath, the daughter of Elom, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called uh, his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here I am. And Isaac said, Behold, now I am old and I do not know the days of my death. Now then, please take your gear and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And so when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me and uh, do as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. And then you bring it to, then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and then I'll be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will be, uh, bring about myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for, for me. And so he went and he got them. He brought them to um, his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which uh, were uh, with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goat on her hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. An interesting passage, isn't it? Needless to say. And unless you're uh, really slow, you realize uh, this is a dysfunctional family at its best. <laughs> if there is such a thing. I was thinking as we were getting into this this morning and uh, looking at this and being it is the chapter it is that if there's ever a time to remember a couple things and a couple truths that the Bible puts forth as we look at chapter 27, it's what we find in Proverbs 14 and Romans 8. Proverbs 14:12 tells us that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And I think that fits so well this morning because what we're seeing in 27 is really the way of man and it really does lead to death and it's just a mess. And yet in the midst and knowing God's will is working through this whole thing, then how good it is also to remember Romans 8.28, that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. And so when you see a chapter like this, that it is just like, oh my goodness, what is going on here? How good it is to remember that in spite of man's sin and mistakes, God does work. And again, if you've had a chance to read it, or even as we just read it this morning, then you realize um, that this is definitely a chapter that shows man can make a mess of things. There are six people that are involved. Four are major, 
two are just mentioned. The main characters, of course, are Isaac and Rebekah, husband and wife, Esau and Jacob, the sons. And so you've got husband, father, wife, mother, uh, two sons who are different. And two sons, as we hinted at last week, that they really didn't like each other. And that will come out very clear today. The two major characters are Judith and uh, Basemath, both Hittites, who Esau married and who were non-Jews. And again, going against Abraham's example. And like we saw, it brought grief to his parents that he did such a thing. The favoritism that we mentioned back last week in 25-28, each parent having a favorite child. Now it comes out and we see it comes out in corrupt behavior and ungodly actions. Um, And the negative characteristics or the negative character traits are just numerous in the passage. There's selfishness and jealousy and abuse, manipulation of power. There's deception and lying, hatred and anger, grief, resentment, bitterness, and finally the desire to desire to and plot a murder. And if that isn't enough, you could add to the story. You have a blind, dying father. You have the family's wealth at stake. You got God's will being ignored, ending with a mother's favorite son fleeing, unaware that she will never see that son again. And so whoever says that the Bible is dull um, hasn't read Genesis 27. Because, man, if Genesis Genesis 27 doesn't match uh, life today, and sadly the stuff that we see all the time today, then I don't know what does. And that's why, as we go through a chapter like this, keep in mind Proverbs 14 and keep in mind Romans 8.28. Because what is thought to be right isn't right. And it, it, we see that uh, it's a failure on man's part. But in spite of man's failure, what we need to remember when we think of things like this and we think of life today is that God does work uh, in the events and beyond the events of this chapter and that he, his will will ultimately be done. And so, again, don't let a chapter like this in the Bible um, kind of trip you up or hang you up or send you running from the Lord um, Because the Bible really gives us the good and the bad. And nothing's wrong with that. That's what we want. We want it both. We want to see the truth of life. Because then what do we see? We see our need for mercy. We see our need for grace. Because any of us really point a finger in this chapter? You know, we may not be guilty of the exact same things, but we realize within our hearts these type of things lie there. And, uh, And so we realize we need the mercy of God. We need the grace of God. And we need God's provision in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what I'm going to do this morning, because I think this is important, I'm going to take this chapter that really is, if I could use the word, it's a negative chapter, isn't it? I mean, this is a family gone awry, and it's a mess. And what I want to do is I want to take, I'm going to give you eight things this morning, and I'm going to take eight things that, in a way, we could look at as negative things, but I'm going to show you that if we if we if they're done a different way, then you actually end up with eight positive things, eight things that really can be beneficial to our walk with the Lord. And so that's what I want to do this morning. And so we're going to go through this mess, but I'm going to give you principles that were violated. And if we'll turn those around, then I'll give you eight things that you could take away with you this morning. And if you start applying them to your life, you'll realize Man, these are good things, and this will be beneficial in my life. So that's how we're going to go through this. Now, let's go. Having seen what Isaac went through in 26, 
The chapter ended, remember, he entered into a covenant with Abimelech, a peace covenant. But another revealing then thing takes place, like I said, when we got to verse 34, when Esau, the one son, remember he traded away his birthright for a meal at the beginning. We saw it last week there. And, uh, and so he marries these two Hittite women. Um, like I told you, when against the example Abraham had given them and uh, have taken a wife from his own people. And as verse 35 says, he brought grief on his mom and dad because of what he did. And so even before we get into chapter 27 in Esau giving his birthright away and now marrying two Hittite women, um, the true heart and the true character of this young man, or I should say man, really, he's not young, is revealed as really he is a man about himself. And he doesn't care about his parents. He doesn't care about his grandparents. He doesn't care about heritage and the things of the Lord that have been passed down to him or that he knows himself. And so here we see the first thing we want to note that can be beneficial to our walk is it's an opposite of what Esau did is make the Lord and his ways your highest priority. So right here before we even get into 27, that's the first thing you can note, okay? And, and, and again, none of you would disagree with that. That's why you're here this morning, because you, you are here to worship the Lord. You're here to learn about the Lord and to go out and live for the Lord. And so we know in doing that, making him and his ways the highest priority of our life is something we should do. And again, that fits right into life. Don't think that all of a sudden that doesn't fit into your life. For instance, with Mother's Day. You know, highest priority of the Lord is to love the Lord your God, but then the Lord says to love others. And so you take that and you love others. So all it all fits in. But he needs to be the highest priority. Well, time goes on and Isaac was getting older. He lost his eyesight. And it's, we're not sure whether he went completely blind or maybe seriously, he could have had cataracts or something that made him all almost blind. But he thought he was going to die soon. And maybe the thinking was Ishmael, um, Abraham's son by Hagar, died at 137. And Isaac is right around that age, they estimate. And so he might have thought the same thing. I'm about 137. I'm going to die pretty soon. And so um, he decided that he needed to take care of getting this blessing. And I'll explain to you in a minute what that was taken care of. But something that if we just want to pause for a minute here that I think is important as we think of Isaac and, and what he did here, the truth is Isaac went on to live 43 more years. That's a half of our lifetime. Granted, they lived longer back then. But it really spoke to my heart of how so often we can, um, we can uh, miss uh, however you want to say it. And so as we get older, we, in effect, take ourselves out of the game. And when really the reality is, is the Lord is the one to take us out of that. An example would be, and it's minor, really, granted, I'm not that old, but I remember uh, two, two marks in my life were the hard marks for me. It wasn't the age 40, it was the age 30, and then I thought it was going to be 50. So as I was approaching 50, and I know some of you that are older than 50 are going, give me a break, okay? But seriously, as I was approaching 50, I just thought, for some reason I thought, my goodness, I'm getting old. And, and I started thinking of all the things that I hadn't accomplished and, you know, as you get older, you realize there are some things now, okay, I'm not going to accomplish that. That isn't going to happen. And so all of a sudden I was having a little pity party, and I didn't let you know it. That was three years ago, four years ago. And uh, But all of a sudden then I just realized the Lord kind of renewed my heart and said, 
give me a break. You're only 50, you know. And and I just found like you're right. What is 50, man? And you know, so I don't know how much longer, how long I want to live, but I definitely want to live. Uh, man, I'm hoping I get into the 80s, you know. So, um, but anyway, and it just reminded me, you guys, of, of being be careful of that. That sometimes I think as we get older, we just forget that the Lord can still use us, and maybe even more so, especially if you walked with the Lord for a long time in your life. I mean, what does Matthew tell us? The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. And my goodness, if you've walked the Lord with the Lord the majority of your life, there are young people left and right that could use you to help them learn how to walk the walk. So again, important thing. And so Isaac, though, going back now, wanted to bless Esau. So he told him to go get some wild game, make his favorite dish, and verse 4, I'll bless you before I die. And that might all sound well, But here's what you need to know. Both Esau and Isaac were forgetting a very important detail. You know what it is? All the way back in chapter 25, we saw it last week. In chapter 25, verse 23, when the Lord had said, remember this is a word of God, and the older shall serve the younger. And so what you have here is you have the father ignoring that and about ready to bless the older And that blessing would then mean the younger would serve the older when God granted this went against what was normally happened, said in this case, the younger, the older will serve the younger. And so that birthright and blessing and the future leadership that were to come through Jacob, um, they were trying to ignore. And and so they're ignoring the will of God that through Jacob, um, the Lord would ultimately uh, rule and bring forth Christ. And so we could say both. Uh, both for different reasons uh, were ignoring the Lord, but the reasons really don't matter. For Esau, um, the other thing is to note, he doesn't get any type of pass. It, it refers to him as a son, and we constantly want to think, you know, something like maybe teenager in our mind when we listen to this story, but he's actually a grown man. He's now married two women. And so you have to understand um, he is able to make the right decisions or the wrong decisions and do what he wants to do and to follow the Lord or not to follow the Lord. And so for Esau, we could say that he ignored God because of his past mistakes, mainly given that birthright away for a meal when he was hungry. And so now ignoring what he had done there, even if it was a mistake, it wasn't the right thing to do. And for Isaac, we could say that he was ignoring God because one, he was hungry Two, he liked Esau's cooking. And three, he favored Esau. And that right on the surface is so easy to realize those are three lousy reasons then to ignore the will of God. And so none of them by either one were grounds to do that. And note what was going uh, governing them right now then. They both were following their self, their flesh, their own instincts. They, they were not being led by the Lord um, and by the spirit, by, by natural instincts. And of course, the results were disastrous. And we'll see that as we continue on. And so here then we come to the second thing that we can turn around and note that can be beneficial to our walk is don't ignore the known will of God. And again, you say, well, that's obvious, Scott. We know that. And yet so often you and I, and we're all guilty of it at times, will know God's will concerning something. But because We want something opposite of it so much, we just ignore it. And so it's a good reminder to us, even if we've known the Lord a long time, don't ignore the will of God. And that reminds us then why the Bible is so important. 
why we need to be into the word and reading the word, because this is where we find out what the will of God is. And so how are we going to not ignore the will of God and know the will of God if we're not into the word? John Davis writes this in his book on Genesis. He says, Isaac's continued preference of Esau is a sad commentary on his spiritual discernment this late in his in life. He seemed to have completely ignored Esau's barter of his birthright and his grievous marriages. Isaac's natural desires were evidently more important to him than spiritual and moral values. And this dependence on his senses uh, turned out to be his undoing. And so if that's the case, and it is, then that leads to two other things that um, we want to make sure that will be beneficial is something Isaac didn't do was then ask the Lord for spiritual discernment and wisdom. And see, there's none of that going on here. And again, it spoke to my heart of how important that is that in our lives, we are constantly asking the Lord for discernment and for wisdom. And you understand that, don't you? I mean, is there a week that goes by that you are faced with a situation and you wonder, what am I supposed to do? And you have two choices. You can go ahead and figure it out on your own and do it. Or you can say, Lord, I need your wisdom. I need your discernment. And his word has promised that he'll give us that wisdom and discernment. And so this is another thing that where Isaac lacked this, you and I can turn around and say, Lord, I want to be a person that is always asking for discernment and wisdom. And then the fourth thing that comes out in this whole thing is plan today so you'll finish well tomorrow. And as John Davis points out there, it's sad that this late in his life, we find Isaac, who was this man of God, really acting this way and doing the things that he's doing. And it just spoke to my heart so much about, Lord, I want to finish well. And I hope that's your prayer. I think so often as believers, at least with some people, uh, there are people in life that just seem to get comfortable and just kind of get their life to a certain level and say, I'm content. And, you know, I, I've never really been that way. Um, you know, and I, and I, and I want to finish well, but to finish well means that I'm working on it today. And I want to encourage you guys that, you know, don't settle for, you know, don't, don't settle. Well, I'm saved and, you know, I've got a nice church I like and, and, you know, my income levels are good and this is good. And so life's good. I'm just going to kind of coast right now. And I just encourage you, man, don't look at your walk of the Lord that way. Realize, you know, what else does the Lord want to do in your life and what else does the Lord want to do through your life? And so that's a fourth thing. Well, Rebecca, during this whole thing, wasn't far away. Remember, they would have lived in tents in these days. And she, um, when Isaac told Esau to go and get some tasty game, and so she comes up with a plan. She pulls Jacob, her son, into the deception. And her plan was for him to go get a couple goats from the herds, make them into a dish that Isaac uh, was expecting and then thinking it was Esau, Isaac would put the blessing upon Jacob. And so that's what now is going to take place. And so he already had the birthright. I mentioned that to you last week when he traded it for a meal. And the birthright was this right and privilege that usually came to the firstborn son. And it made the firstborn son the authority after the father died, gave the firstborn son a double portion of the inheritance. There were a lot more responsibilities, but there were a lot more benefits. And so uh, this was already Jacob's. But now they needed the blessing of the father. Um, and so this is what is being talked about here as it would really put into effect that. And it was known as an oral blessing. Uh, 
It was to declare God's favor or goodness upon others. The blessing is not only the good effect of words, it also has the power to bring them to pass. An oral blessing was as legally valid as a written last will and testament. And so that's what we're seeing here. And this, it, it carried with its power. And in the Bible, it says important persons bless those who had less power influence. And we see, of course, Jacob being one of the patriarchs. The patriarchs pronounce blessings and benefits upon their children, often near the, their own deaths. Even if spoken by mistake, once a blessing was given, it could not be taken back. And so gaining the birthright, this deal with his brother, Rebecca now seeks the blessing to make everything secure. And so like her husband Isaac, Rebecca is also willing to ignore God's will and uh, how God would want to do things. And she lacks spiritual discernment. She lacks spiritual wisdom. And she starts bringing forth this, this really, it's a plot of um, deception, if you will. And so um, Jacob um, had his concerns. Sadly, um, they were ignored. His concern was really being caught. His concern wasn't in getting the blessing, but it was in being caught. And so that was his concern. And he he concerned that he says, first of all, Esau is hairy and I'm not. You know, verse 11. And I thought about that. We joked about this last week when it says Esau, he was hairy and that's actually a nickname. And and if you think about it, I thought, I, you know, I know what a goat looks like. Okay. And she takes the goat skin and puts it on his forearms and on his neck so that when Isaac touches him, he'll go, oh, that's Esau. And I thought, man, that is one hairy dude, you know. So, I mean, you know, I know there's guys that, you know, some have more hair than other and we're just not going to go there with all this stuff. But I just thought, holy moly, man, if the dad can touch and go, yeah, that's Esau. I'm thinking that'd be like me touching one of my dogs and going, you know, son, you might want to go in there and shave, you know. But anyway, and so there were some differences. And and so he didn't and then he didn't want to be found out and thus be cursed. And again, all legitimate concerns that there are some real differences between Jacob and Esau and differences a parent would know and recognize. And I and I and when you look at verse 13, I, I hardly know what to say when it says when Rebecca says to Jacob, "Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me." And so, a definitely a low point in Rebecca's life. Here is this woman of God. And she is being instrumental in telling her son to do some things that the Lord wouldn't want him to do. So that takes us then to a fifth thing, you guys, that we want to note that can be beneficial to our walk. And it's obey the Lord, even if someone close to you or somebody in authority tells you differently. And I think it's a very it's obviously it's a sad picture here when you have a mom instrumental in leading her son in a way that isn't of the Lord. And so, again, it's a good word to you and I that with somebody close to us or somebody in authority tells us to do something that isn't of the Lord and counterdicts Scripture, the bottom line is be a man or woman enough to say, no, I'm not going to do that. But that's what happened here. And so she made the stew, verse 14. She dresses up Jacob in Esau's clothes, verse 15. She covers his hands and neck with the skin of the goat, 16. And then she says to him, go, and he goes. And so verse 18, then he came to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you have told me. 
Get up, please. Sit up and eat my game that you may uh, bless me. And Isaac said to his son, How is that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God has caused it to happen to me. And so what Jacob feared was happening. Isaac was picking up some stuff. Picking up signs that something might not be as they appear. And notice, as they said, as they say honesty is the best policy, this is a passage that proves one lie always leads to another lie and to another lie and to another lie. And it also is a passage that proves eventually it's all going to get flushed out and the truth will come out. But that's what takes place here. And so pretending to be Esau, he now has to lie about, notice how he got the meat and prepared it so fast. You know, we know how mom did it. He didn't go hunting. Esau's still out there trying to find the deer, you know. And so that's how. And notice then, and this is important because this is something that we do as well. He pulls the Lord into the sin by sin. The Lord, your God, caused it to happen to me. So not only has he lied about who he is, now he's lied about how the whole thing has happened so quickly. And he says, the Lord did it. And all of a sudden I thought, Lord, forgive us when we do that. Because so often we will go against you and we will pull you into the mess and and make it sound as if you're in it. And it, it reminds us that a tendency when we sin is to be blinded to the fact that we are in sin or that maybe we are doing something we shouldn't be doing, and then we support that action with Scripture and godly language. And you guys, I don't know how to tell you this. I see it all the time as a pastor, but it's a very hard thing to expose, and it's a very hard thing for you and I to guard against, because it's just a tendency that we have. When we're wrong, our first reaction is to be defensive and say, I'm not wrong, right? Give you an example, and you've done this, I've done it. I was at a light the other yesterday, and I was sitting here in a car, and there was a car here, and a car here, and a car here. And there was a left turn light, and this the left turn light went green, and this guy in this car was messing with something because he wasn't looking up. And it really was, it was probably at least 20 seconds. So at almost at the same time, the two cars behind beeped. Then as the guy turned the corner, he rolled down his window and yelled back at him something that wasn't very nice. But they had done nothing wrong, right? It's just like, well, all they're saying is go. You're, you're, you're distracted. It's green. Come on. You know? And I thought, you know, that's, that shows our reaction, is it? isn't it? Rather than say, thank you, you're right. I was being an idiot. I shouldn't have been doing that. What we do, we defend. And so, again, I think it's important to you, I, you and I that we understand that sometimes when we're headed in a direction that we shouldn't head, it's very hard for us to see that. And often, as others are trying to show us that, Sometimes we will then pull scripture in and and God into it to make it seem like, no, I'm doing the right thing when in reality we are not. And so that's what I think you see here. And so it goes on, verse 21, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So he's wondering. And Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, bring it to me and I will eat my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. And he also brought him wine and he drank. 
And then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. And so he came close and he kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said. And so again, doubts in his mind. Is this really Esau? But it seems like everything's pointing to that. So here comes a blessing. Verse 27, he says, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brother and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. And so Jacob escapes this close call. He lies again, this time going so far as to say he's Esau. And he receives the blessing um, to have an abundance of food, to serve others, to be served by others, to be over other nations, to be leader of his family. And if anyone curses him, they'll be cursed. If anyone blesses him, they'll be blessed. And when he got what he wanted and Rebecca got what she wanted, but notice the means of doing so was certainly sad. And no doubt a price had been paid and a price would still be paid. And one can't do this type of thing without suffering inwardly and outwardly. And we need to remember that, don't we? You know, so often when we're young, especially in the Lord, we can view the Bible as a book of do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. And again, we want to rebel against that. But as we get older in the Lord, we realize, you know what? You could look at it that way, or you could look at it as a book that God has my best interests in mind and a way that I can live and prosper and not go through as much grief maybe as I would if I didn't uh, pay attention to it. And so that's, you know, what we see. And, and again, we realize that, man, there was a price this family was paying. And you know what the saddest thing of all is? They didn't have to do this. God had declared again back in Genesis twenty-five, twenty-three, before they were even born, that the younger would serve the, um, the older would serve the younger. And so you say, well, how would that have all worked out, Scott? I don't know. But I know it would have worked out. And who knows if this family wouldn't have gone through less grief than they did. And so again, if you're tempted to think, well, maybe this is how God intended it to happen. Let me show you something. That the reason we know this wasn't how God wanted it to happen, because you have deception, you have lying, trickery, falling one's own wisdom, being in the flesh, disobeying God's commandments. And never the, is that the Lord's will and how the Lord wants to do something? And, you know, just tuck that away. And I'm sure most of you know this, but if you don't, then this is for you. That oftentimes when you're trying to figure out what God's will is and stuff, and, and I get this a lot as a pastor because you'll come to me and you'll ask me, you know, what do you think God wants in this thing? If, if anything you tell me, I can think of anything that is unscriptural, then it's over right there. It's not God's will. Now, people don't always want to hear that, but that is the bottom line. And so often, you guys, that's what discernment is. When we're wondering, should I do this? Should I do that? If there's anything in it that we can instantly think of something that would go against the scriptures, then just stop right there. Stop and quit thinking the way you're thinking, because the way you're thinking isn't what God wants. And you need to see it from a different way. And so here's the sixth thing that I think we could take from this whole thing that can really be a benefit to our walk is when tempted in the flesh to get something, resist it and keep waiting upon the Lord. And again, that is something we understand. So often we're wanting to see God do this thing in our life, maybe in us or something that we're struggling with or through us. 
And there's a tendency that oftentimes, almost all the time, God's a bit slower about his timing than we are, aren't we? Isn't he? When do we want it? Yes, always. And God, you know, it's like, doesn't he understand that? But he always is much more laid back about the whole thing. And so our tendency then is we'll wait so long, but then we step in and that's a mistake we make because God wants us to wait longer. And again, can I encourage you in this area? You know, let me just be without telling you a lot, but let you know that for me, I think I see it in two ways. There is stuff, and I've known the Lord since 1972 is when I gave my life to the Lord. But let me tell you, there are some things in my life personally that I'm still wanting to see God do. Okay? And I'm, I'm dead serious about this. You know, I was in a bookstore yesterday and I bought a couple of books and I was teasing my wife. I was downstairs in our family room last night reading. And she came down and she said, what you're reading, I went to show her. Because the night before we were in a bookstore and she didn't want to be there. So I said, well, I'm not showing you because we were in the bookstore the night before and you didn't want to be there. So you can't see what I'm reading. And I was just teasing her. But I showed her what I bought. And she said, what are you reading those for? And I basically said, because I'm tired of this aspect of my life. And I want a breakthrough. And I want to see God get me through this thing that I go through. So, you know, so that's that's kind of what I'm saying to you guys as this part when it says so often we're tempted in the flesh to do things, but wait on the Lord and and, and understand that. And, and then for me, the other side of it is with the church. I mean, there's things I want to see God do in the church. But again, it's his timing. It's not my strength. It's not my ideas or my cleverness, but it's his doing. And so the same for you, too. You know, there, I'm sure hopefully there are things in your life that you're saying, God, change this about me. Right. I hope you're saying that. I hope every one of you. Seriously, I hope every one of us in this room can identify, just as I mentioned this one thing in our life, something about our character that we realize it needs to be changed. And I don't want to continue on this way when I react this way or that. And so, again, we're we're wanting God to do that work in our life. But again, we got to be patient. And so you wait. And I'm encouraged. You know, it's a prayer that as I pray and I'm just trying to, you know, just help, you know, trying to get to that point where I can overcome some of these things. And I want to see more growth in my life in that. Um, um, I got to just be patient. But I, I don't that doesn't mean I don't have faith. And I don't believe God's going to do it, but I have to realize it's in his timing. And so it's it, it's an interesting thing. And I just want to encourage you that. So, again, take that away from this and and don't don't having, you know, God making you wait, get into your flesh. Uh, just keep waiting. And so it goes on verse 30 that it came about as soon as Isaac had finished uh, blessing Jacob and Jacob had hardly gone out of the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his honey. And so all of a sudden, guess what? You know, okay. Then he also made savory fruit. He bought it to his father and he said to his father, let my father arise and eat his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? And he said, well, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled violently and said, who was he that that then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of it? And before you came and blessed him, yes, and he shall be blessed. And so, both Isaac and uh, Esau now learned that they had been tricked and that Jacob had received the blessing and that there was really no turning back. And while you might think and might be tempted to feel for these two guys over what Jacob and Rebekah had done, 
Remember, one, Isaac knew Jacob was the one who was to be blessed. And so doing what he was doing was wrong. The dad was wrong here. The dad knew the younger would, the older would serve the younger. And Esau knew that when he traded that birthright, he'd also given up the blessing. And it was almost as if realizing they had done a stupid thing, he's now trying to see if he can overturn it. And so it goes on, verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants, and with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? And so Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. And so anyone who thinks that there is no pain in this type of situation, this type of behavior, in this kind of sin, um, in stretching the truth, in following your own ways versus God's ways, you just need to note what we just read carefully. Especially verse 34 when it says that Esau, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry. In other words, he knew it was final. And verse 38, Esau lifted his voice and wept. And it shows us the pain that was in his heart. And so here's the seventh thing we want to note that can be a beneficial to our walk, turning something around, that having ignored the Lord, having been in your flesh and wrong, let pain lead you then to the right decision and the right course of action. Turn to the Lord, repent, and seek forgiveness, and start following his ways. And again, I think this could have happened. It's not going to happen with Esau, okay? You're going to see in just a moment as we finish reading here that Esau doesn't take this horrible situation and decide, okay, I'm going to do the right thing now. I'm going to get on my face before the Lord and say, I have been wrong. Instead, he just keeps going on his own way. But isn't that a good word to you and I, a good encouragement to you and I? Because painful things come into our life. We do painful things that affect our life. And we can either just kind of ignore them and blame others in the process and just continue on or we could say, okay, Lord, you know, why, why did this dump truck back up on me today and dump on me? You know, what's going on? And we could stand back and say, okay, Lord, I want to draw close to you in this. And again, maybe it, it doesn't always mean that there, there's something that we've done that is wrong. Sometimes there's just pain in life. And eat, so whether it's something we've done that we shouldn't have done, we're acting the way we shouldn't have acted, or it's just... It could be just a, an attack of the enemy um, coming on us and we didn't deserve it. The, the answer is the same. You know, take the right action and, and keep yourself where the Lord would have you be. And so verse 39, then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, away. And so here's the blessing he gives to Esau. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling and away from the dew of heaven and from above. By your sword you shall live, and by your brother you will serve. You shall serve, but it shall come about when you you become restless that you will break uh, his yoke from your neck. And so, the only blessing um, that Esau would get was really not a blessing. Um, the land won't bless you. 
you'll, he'll be a fighter all his life. You'll be under your brother. Um, the Edomites, if you look at this map, it's a picture of the Holy Land, and you could see uh, uh, where the Dead Sea is. And the, from Esau came the Edomites and Edom. And so this is the area now that where ultimately Esau, its relatives would end up. And so, and it was a hard land. It wasn't a fertile land. And it was a hard area. And it was a rugged area. Henry Morris says the Edomites would generally live in violence and in subjection to Israel. Finally, Edom disappeared completely as a nation. Esau's long life of immorality and indifference to spiritual things, in spite of being born to one of the most privileged heritages, heritages possible, had finally caught up with him, and it was too late even for regrets. And so verse 41, Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing which with his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so note for Esau, even in great pain over the mistakes that he has made, he didn't learn and he didn't turn now and do the right thing. What did he do? He held on. He didn't forgive. He became angry and bitter to the point he would now wait for the right time and then murder his brother. And just, you know, understand the, the order there, guys. You, we can't violate that order. If we choose not to forgive, there's going to be resentment and anger and bitterness that follow that every time. And, and so there's just this process that takes place that really is a key. The key is forgiveness. And so, sadly, this is what Esau decides. So verse 42, when the word of his elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to Haran to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days. Note that. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Until your brother's fury subsides. Until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. So isn't that interesting? It's just like, my goodness. You know, then I will send and get you from there. Why should I be bereaved of both of you in one day? And what that means there is if Esau killed Jacob, then a family member would have to kill Esau. That was the law. So what she's saying is, get out of here before I lose both my sons. And so Rebecca, verse 46, again, this is a sad thing here. She, This is the reason she tells Isaac, her husband, that Jacob is going. He says, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these from the daughters of the land, what good will my, my life be to me? And so she's saying, you know, he, Jacob takes a foreign wife, huh, you know. And so again, what it's, it's really sad. I don't, I don't mean to be too painful if in your situation this is closer to home than you wish, but you really see a horrible relationship here with a husband and a wife. Because it seems to me that now everybody knows, okay, there's no doubt in my mind that Isaac knows what his wife has done and how she did what she did with Jacob and all that type of stuff. But having that said, where you wish you'd have a husband and wife come together and there could be repentance and brokenness and forgiveness and seeking God, she's still playing the game. And she's still lying and deceiving to her husband and not being honest about really what took place. And again, we're not going to get into that because this isn't really a message on marriages, but it is sad. And it shows us that that's the last thing we want to happen in our relationships. You know, there needs to be that openness and that honesty and that tenderness and the forgiveness there in those marriages. And so that's really what took place. And so 
in his mother's brother, um, when he goes, this is where we'll head next in Genesis, he will go to Laban. And if you know the story, Jacob will meet his match in Laban. You think Jacob is a conniver? Well, let me tell you, Laban will trick him. Uh, and he will not only work for seven years, he'll work 14 years for the woman that he really wants. And so he'll meet, meet you there. But for now, he's sent away. Um, on the one hand, uh, Rebecca gets what she wanted, the blessing on her son. But sadly, and this is what I mentioned, and oh, this is so sad, she would never see him again. You know, thinking Esau would calm down in a few days, Jacob would be gone for 20 years, and in that time, Rebecca will die. And she'll never see this son again. And man, if that doesn't just grab your heart and say, don't go this way, I don't know what would. Because it does to me, you know. To me, my kids, obviously, just as for you, are the most precious things they are. And to not be able to see them, oh my goodness, you know. It's just like you're willing for that. But you want it to be God's will and God's timing, not your decisions and mistakes. And so here's the eighth thing, and then we're done, that we want to note that can be beneficial to our walk. We take the opposite of what Esau did, and it's forgive and your life will be blessed. And you know, you guys, we hear about forgiving as Christians and loving as Christians so often that I'm afraid at times we don't realize how powerful it needs to be in our life. But that is a key. Forgiveness is such a key for our life to be a blessed life. Why? Because there's so many things in life that happen to us that are that if we're not forgiving people, we won't. And so there's constantly those challenges to forgive and to be that way. And so sadly, Esau didn't. And, and we see a picture of what happens when you don't forgive. Usually there's anger, there's bitterness, there's revenge, and there's ungodly actions. And we don't need to say much about that. And yet, when you forgive, it allows you to move on, to let go, and to be continually used of the Lord. And so eight things, guys, that are beneficial. Make the Lord and His ways a priority in your life, the highest priority. Don't ignore the will of God. Ask the Lord daily for discernment and wisdom. Plan today for tomorrow so you'll finish well tomorrow, okay? Obey the Lord even if somebody close or even somebody in authority tells you to do differently. When tempted in the flesh um, to get something, don't. Resist and keep waiting upon the Lord. Let pain lead you to the right decision, to the right action. And forgive and your life will be blessed. And so chapter 27 is a sad picture of what happens when one doesn't do things the Lord's way. And really all of them, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, they lost so much. You know that. I know that. And if we if they would have just trusted the Lord, the blessing would have been Jacob's anyway. And God would have worked it all out. And so let's go back to where we started. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way which seems right to man but its end is in the way of death. And so we go to Genesis 27, and it isn't hard at all to put Genesis 27 into May 2007, because that's the world we live in today. And you and I and other people, we can either do it our way, it seems right, but if it isn't God's way, it's not the right way. In the end, it will lead in death. And so again, as we get ready to leave this morning, I want to encourage you to live this way. Turn these things around and say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way. And yet in this whole thing, we know that God does cause all things to work together. And so we seek to live his way, but we make mistakes. You know, maybe you are in the midst of that right now. Maybe even this morning, 
you know, you all of a sudden realize, oh my goodness, I see myself in here. And maybe there's going to be something you need to do. But in that midst, understand that God will work, you know. And that's why we love His mercy and His grace because He does work all things. And so be encouraged, okay? Be encouraged. Do not follow the example of Genesis 27, okay? Turn it around and do it like I've showed you today and follow the leading of the Lord and your life will be blessed. And He'll bring the blessing, okay? You don't need to bring about the blessing on your life. You obey Him and He'll bless your life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.